four friends, three states, two time zones, one shared passion. Welcome to the Sunday Drive, where we hit the fast lane and discuss our favorite drives from the racetrack, the court, and the ball fields. We are four lifelong friends who grew up around racing and a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those last lap lead changes, game-winning scores, and franchise players. We are The Sunday Drive. Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of The Sunday Drive podcast. Um, John, I'm here, as always, with my Formula One co-host, James. Uh, how's it going tonight? Uh, pretty good. Another late night recording. Uh, good to talk to you here about a little F1. Another preview episode. I'm liking it. Absolutely. We've got a big Grand Prix ahead of us with uh, one of my favorites in Canada at Montreal. Um, so, yeah, well, let's get rolling. We had a lot of news coming out this week. Um, so let's, let's start running through them and start talking about some of these big topics. Yeah, for sure. Definitely a, definitely a pretty good news week. Um, kind of helps the week move along a little bit. I don't know about you, but it seems like any time that there's a race coming up that weekend, the the week wants to drag on and on and on. So um, hopefully this will be our fix for the night um, <laughs> as we wait for FP1 Friday morning. Um, but last weekend there was some racing going on that, that wasn't F1. Um, they had a couple IndyCar races up in D- Detroit um, back-to-back weekend. And uh, an old Formula One guy, Marcus Erickson, actually got his first podium since 2013 uh did you get to watch any of that race yeah i watched uh actually both races um you know i'm a alexander rossi fan and he uh didn't come out away with a win on either one of them i thought he was in really good contention in both of those uh so i was kind of tuned in pretty closely to see um i think he was was seeing the pole i think maybe for race one and started second for race two something like that so I tuned in. Bell is, is always uh, usually puts on a, a good show. And then I think it was race one where they had downpours all day. So that made it uh, pretty interesting to say the least. Um, you know, racing and open wheel cars are always exciting. So, yeah, it was uh, it was good for Marcus for sure. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer for me. Um, I've got, you know, my DVR set up automatically. So any IndyCar race, it, it'll record for me. And I'll kind of like fast forward through them and check out bits and pieces of them. But uh, because of that rain, my recording only got, you know, the first little bit of the race and then it kind of <laughs> ended on me. So that was a bummer. Um, but I was able to watch that second one to see Marcus. And it, he had a really good race. It seemed like um, it, some of the other races I've caught from him, it seems like he's got a pretty good car, some good pace. He just hasn't put it all together. Um, and he did mention that um, it felt like finally the, like the whole thing came together for him. So got a podium. And it was really cool for him um, that since obviously the Sauber team their Alfa Romeo team, excuse me, is going to be in Montreal here this weekend. Um, there was a good contingent of guys that Marcus had been working with were there to watch him. So I'm sure that was pretty cool for them to see their old teammates uh, with a nice finish there. Yeah, I thought it was surprising, too, that after the race, he made a comment that this podium would likely make national news in Sweden, um, which I had a interesting Twitter debate but with. Uh, but then I got quickly corrected by a Swede uh, later, actually earlier this evening, who said that uh, basically that with with Sweden being a small country and not a whole lot of motorsport success coming out of there, that this lo- would legitimately make national news. So I stand corrected on that. But, yeah, I, <laughs> I was surprised. I thought, you know, surely an F1 thing, if he did, you know, when he was in F1, that would make news. But, um, yeah, he's – He's. It seems like he's had some bad luck this year. Um, I agree. I think he's had a, a decent car and things just not. You know, the stars just haven't quite aligned for him. Um, and I think he may have gotten blessed a little bit by that late race uh, caution. So uh, that helped. What Dixon get up there? Um, and you know, it, it, I think it benefited some of those guys that shuffled some of the main guys down uh, through fuel strategy and tire strategy, things like that. So. Finally, stars align for this guy. Um, you know, hopefully it's a thing, uh, you know, a start of something to come. we got a few of these former F1 drivers over there now. And so I, I want to see him be successful, even ones that I didn't really cheer for in F1. But so yeah, I'm, I'm exactly. glad this finally worked out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so moving on, um, 
couple other announcements over the last few weeks have been about a couple of the new tracks we're going to see next year. Um, so we kind of split it up to, to look into them a little bit deeper. So I know you were in charge of Vietnam. So uh, anything you want to share? Yeah. So when I first saw this track um, a few weeks back, uh, I was honestly unimpressed to say, I mean, I was like, what am I looking at here? <laughs> um, it's it's a really, really weird-looking track. Uh, if you haven't seen it, definitely Google it, um, Vietnam F1 2020. But when I started to actually dive in and start to get a little bit more information um, from it, there's uh, an excellent YouTube video out there of a uh, simulated, like a kind of F1 2018 video game-type simulation um, of the actual track, which really helped me kind of get down to that driver's level and see, all right, what are we actually facing here? Because um, my concern was there's two incredibly massive, long, massively long straights, um, and that's always sometimes a, a concern for me. But so just some quick facts on on Vietnam, um, the the track itself. So it's gonna be the fourth street race on the calendar, uh, adding to Monaco, Singapore, and Baku. It's also going to be now the fourth race uh, on the current calendar in Asia, um, joining China, Japan, and Singapore. Uh, even though it's got two incredibly long straights, it actually still has 22 turns. Um, it's in about just under three and a half miles, so uh, you know a really good sized track. Um, and then it's got, if I'm if my math's correct, and I'm not great about converting kilometers and everything else over to art to the american dumb system but uh if my math's correct it's going to be the longest straight in formula one so it's actually going to be longer on the the physical straight than baku and if you count the kink uh that baku has uh vietnam will also have a kink so it'll be substantially longer than than baku if you add the kinks in there so um on that straight they're looking at you know, I, they're easily going to be over 200 miles per hour. I think the only thing that's going to be holding them back is gear ratio. There are some tighter turns later in the track. Uh, arrow is going to be really, really challenging actually for this track because of the fact that you've got very similar to Baku, really, really long straightaway, but then some really tight twisty sections. Uh, so the car balance is really going to be important. Um, but then one of the cool things that I, I thought was, they designed multiple turns uh, similar. They pulled like a, a Coda type situation and they designed the track around famous corners from other tracks. So uh, just to briefly go through them, turn one and two um, are mimicked after, after the opening corners at the Nürburgring. Um, going later through the track, turns 12 through 15 are actually inspired from turn one at Monaco up the hill. Um, and around to the uh, casino section, turns 16 through 19 are the sweeping S's through uh, Suzuka. Um, and then turn 22 through, or excuse me, 20 through 22 are modeled after uh, Malaysia's like really fast left, right, followed by a really tight uh, radius apex. So I thought that was pretty cool that they added all that in and, and were able to, you know, put some real thought behind it and it wasn't just like, Hey, here's the streets that are available. Let's just throw something up. There was actually some thought there. Um, and another cool thing, which I know James, you're actually going to be very, very excited to hear is that the pit lane, how it's set up is you'll actually skip the final turn and the first turn um, by going through the pit lane. So it theoretically should have a very short pit road, uh, and actually cut down a lap time, which, which uh, this is the part you love. It should encourage multiple stops because the very, very short amount of time you'll actually spend off the track. Uh, it should encourage those at least two stoppers at minimum. So April well, 2020, good. I believe, yeah, is when it's coming. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, it sounds like a good one. I, pretty much all I've seen is the, the pictures. And just like you said, uh, the first thing that stands out is those crazy long straights. Um, did you ha did you come across was that one is that designed by uh, Herman uh, Tilke Tilke how do you pronounce his name um, I believe so don't quote me on that but okay I should have written that down on all my research but I I believe so because I, I just um, last night I just watched uh, the newest video from Chain Bear F1 who I I got to give a shout out to um, if you're ever looking for 
F1 videos on YouTube. This guy is uh, second to none. He's really good at breaking things down kind of in the terms you can understand, but he just had one um, about Herman Tilka and all the tracks that he's designed and how um, some of the complaints about him, about the tracks all being alike. Um, and I don't remember if he mentions the Vietnam one in there or not, so I'm interested to find out if, if that's one of his or not. Yeah, I just looked it up. It is It is designed by Herman. Okay. Which I know has been cool. some of the, the complaint. Um, you know, people that are familiar with NASCAR, there was that similar complaint that, you know, NASCAR found a, a track design that they liked and then replicated it across the country, and then it led to the same guys winning and poor racing. Um, I don't think it's quite to that extreme at, you know, in Formula One. But, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to favor a certain type of car, that's for sure. So if you're good at Suzuka, if you're good at Coda, for instance, which we know teams like Ferrari and Mercedes tend to be, uh, I imagine they're going to be very successful in Vietnam as well. Yeah, Red Bull sure. as well. I'm sure Mercedes will win. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd be a good track from an aero perspective for, uh, for Red Bull. Uh, but, again, it's going to – those straights, I mean, it's going to be all horsepower. So who knows? If, if, if Honda can keep up, it could be an interesting – uh april 2020 race or something like that for for those guys as well yeah, for sure can't wait <laughs> um so you had vietnam so i took uh the dutch grand prix which is coming back um just outside of amsterdam so that could be a potential fun one to go check out next year um so i think it was may, back on may 14th of this year they announced that after 35 year hiatus uh, we will be racing um the dutch grand prix again at zandvoort um, circuit Park there. So just some quick stats on that. Um, the race there has been held 34 times. The first one all the way back in 1948. Uh, most recently in 1985. Um, fun fact, two years before I was born. Um, <laughs> you suck. As, <laughs> as far as drivers go, uh, most wins four uh, by Jim Clark, the Brit, and then most wins for a constructor, Ferrari. Um, so maybe they can have some luck there next year. It'll be nice to see. Um, and as far as the last race went, pole position was taken by Nelson Piquet in the, uh, Brabham BMW with a time of 111.074. Um, so I'd have to imagine we'll be a little bit quicker when we go there next year. Um, but we will see. And then the win was by the late Nicky Lauda in the McLaren. Um, so that was a good one for him. And then doing some research on it. I had heard this story before, but I didn't realize that it was, um, at Zandvoort, but a pretty um, scary, dark day for, for Formula One. But back in 1973, during a race that kind of had um, a celebration about some of the efforts they had put forth in um, changing the track, I think they added a uh, chicane before a very high-speed corner. Um, but on the eighth lap of that race, um, a British driver by the name of Roger Williamson in what was only his second-ever Formula One race crashed near the tunnel oost and his car caught fire while uh, scraping along the tarmac and he was uninjured during the crash um but he wasn't able to free himself from the car so one of his countrymen david Purley, had stopped alongside of him hopped out of his car tried to get williamson out of his car was not able to um for whatever reason the marshals that were on that part of the track did not have you know the flame retardant jumpsuits on um, so they kind of weren't trying to help out um, with the heat and the flames that they weren't protected from. Um, and then, you know, kind of in a crazy circumstance, race control just kind of assumed that it was Pearlie's car that had crashed and that he was the driver um, that crashed and he was out of the car unharmed so that it was good. And then a lot of the drivers that had gone by um, saw Pearlie trying to wave them down. There's actually footage of that that's pretty, um, pretty messed up to see, but he's trying to wave down guys to help. And uh, they just think it's him, you know, trying to put the fire out of his own car, um, which then Williamson ended up dying, um, not from from burning, but from actually from asphyxiation, uh, not being able to breathe there. So um, and then the kind of, you know, the cherry on top of the whole terrible situation is then they basically just put um, a blanket over the car and finish the race with the car off to the side. So um, hopefully nothing we see again. Definitely all that aftermath stuff is nothing we'd ever see again in today's Formula One with the way that safety has really um, gone in the forefront there. So um, definitely a track that has a lot of history, um, some rough history for sure. Um, but 
seems like a lot of the drivers uh, like the track. They're excited to go back. I know there's some changes that need to be made. Um, there's a lot of, um, like, sand traps, basically. Um, I think they want some runoffs um, to promote some faster racing and safer racing, most importantly. Um, but it should be pretty interesting. Obviously, it's going to be a sea of orange all around the track that day with the uh, Max Verstappen faithful. Um, pretty much any race you see in Europe, there's always a huge contingent of uh, Dutch fans for their boy Max. And obviously, a home track for him is going to be uh, just a crazy scene, I'm sure, with all the orange. And uh, there's actually a video out. <clears throat> I forget which year of the Red Bull he's driving in, but he does actually do a lap of uh, Zandvoort. And so it's kind of cool to see the onboard and what it's going to potentially look like here pretty soon. So it should be another good one, I'd imagine. Have you seen the video? I, I, I'm pretty sure it's at the same track of uh, him and his dad, actually, in two different cars doing demo laps and, and pacing each other. Um, but, yeah, I think Max is in, like, if I were to guess, maybe like a 2010, somewhere in that range, Red Bull, just mm -hmm. based on looking at the – by the sound <clears throat> of the motor and uh, the design of the wing – That'd be my guess somewhere in there. But, yeah, that's been my – really my only experience of that. I I have seen that footage of, of that tragic accident. I didn't realize it was at this track. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's that's got to be one of the darkest days in Formula One history to, you know, have someone who's, who passes away in such a, a horrific manner. Um, and then before the confusion – that led to the race basically continuing to go on the entire time while this is occurring. So yeah, I, I remember seeing that footage of him waving his arms, like desperately trying to get someone to slow down. And I mean, you could tell he like, he's heartbroken to a you know, degree that I can't even possibly fathom. But um, yeah. yeah, I was looking at this track has been, it's had its, its dark history. So obviously that particular incident, and by my count, I believe there's been 13 fatalities at this track, not Formula One, not all Formula One related, but uh, 13 fatalities overall at this track over the years, um, which I think of the most recent one actually was in 2017 at one of those historic Grand Prix. Um, wow. Yeah, so uh, I mean, what do you think about the track itself? I one of our fans on Twitter, Patrick, um, you know, he, he's obviously vocal about his displeasure of Monaco. And we kind of talked about how it sets up sort of a parade type procession in the race day. Um, and apparently the Dutch Grand Prix track wise, uh, a lot of people have said it's very, very similar to Monaco because of the fact that there's lack of over um, or excuse me, runoffs. I kind of personally hope they keep a couple of those sand traps in there just to, make it a little bit more challenging, you know, a mistake will ruin your day. Um, you know, some of these tracks, I feel like you can run off a mile and not hit anything. I don't, I'm not a huge fan of that concept, but obviously we got to make it to a point where it's safe. Um, because clearly this track can, can bite you in a heartbeat, but the, the track speeds, at least from that, the staffing video that I saw were insanely fast. And you said, what was it about 110 or something like that? 111 was the, the pole back in, 85. Yeah, 111. I mean, that's incredible. 85, they're running 111. I can't even imagine what we're going to be hitting this year. Uh, this Is this going to be the fastest lap in Formula One then, probably? Uh, definitely could be, for sure. It's, uh, let's see, the circuit length is 2.6 miles. How long is so Monaco? Like be, uh, well, it's going to be 71 laps, but Monaco is shorter overall, I know. Yeah, Monaco is 78 laps altogether. Huh. That's got to be shorter, but it seems like definitely much longer straights um, in Zandvoort. Yeah, I think Monaco is just, I want to say just over two miles in length. So, so it won't be the shortest, but it, but it looks, you're right, though. The average speed, I think, is going to be significantly faster than Monaco. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's not going to be another processional race. Um, I've heard the concerns about it being kind of a skinnier track. And obviously, um, with not having the runoffs, guys aren't quite as keen on making some of the, the real late breaks there. Um, I, I hope it's not just solely because of how popular Max Verstappen is that they're trying to cash in on his popularity. Hopefully, there is a chance of some good racing there. Um, but, I mean, there's really only one way to find out. Um, 
and you know we got less than a year now till we do yeah yeah i've i've heard people say that this is going to be one of the the best qualifying events of the year so it's like one of those you it's a must see even for the casual fan because uh everyone says that the speeds around this track with a modern formula one car are are just going to look absolutely incredible especially if you're lucky enough to be in person so yeah. i'm sure i won't be there next year but who knows maybe one day down the road uh i'll manage to get over there well so now we've talked about the two new tracks coming in um chase carey has kind of already said that they don't want to increase the 23 races this year, this upcoming year. They want to keep it at 21. Um, so that kind of means that we're going to lose a couple of GPs. Now we have a few that contracts have run out and we've heard some issues about. Um, Monza has re-signed, so we're good to go there. Um, so that kind of leaves us with a few different tracks in danger with uh, Silverstone, um, Spain, Mexico, and Germany are all kind of in limbo a little bit here. Um, been a lot of rumors about a lot of them. Um, I've heard from a few different people on different podcasts and articles saying that Silverstone is essentially a done deal. They're just kind of waiting for the right moment to announce it. I'd have to imagine they want to announce it during the, uh, the British GP, um, just when everybody's kind of paying attention to them already. Um, so that brings us down to Spain, Mexico, and Germany. Um, if you heard anything, you got any thoughts, feelings on, on who it might be that we're losing? Well, I mean, to start with, with Silverstone. So, not next year, but I could see a future where there's no Silverstone, but I can't see a future where there's no British Grand Prix. Um, yeah. Obviously, I mean, that's the home base for vast majority of the teams. Um, it, it just doesn't make sense for there not to be a Grand Prix there. It's it, it's a huge crowd. So I could see the circuit moving um, due to some financial disputes with Formula One, but I, I got to think that there would, it's going to be for the long foreseeable future an actual British Grand Prix. Um so, I mean, that leaves, you said, what, Germany, Spain, and Mexico. And Mexico. I think Spain is a quickly becoming a non-fan favorite, as we've kind of talked about in prior episodes, especially with, you know, Fernando not being there. He was one of the biggest drivers, uh, or you know, of them going to that, quote-unquote drivers, of them going to that track and <laughs> the fan attendance there. Now that he's gone um, – attendance was a little bit down this last year, at least for what I can tell from, from aerial shots. So I think that's definitely got to be a risk. And the fact that the, the teams and they, and the drivers, they know that track so well because of the testing, um, it almost makes it a more of a predictable race and nobody wants predictable races. So I think that's, if I were a betting man, I would say that's gotta be one of the two for sure. Um, and then at least Germany and Mexico, I can't, I, I know there's been a lot of issues with Germany and we haven't had a Grand Prix there every year and we flip back and forth between Hockenheim and Nürburgring. Um, I just don't think Mercedes is going to allow uh, a German Grand Prix to not be on the calendar, you know, uh, going forward. So I think, I know Mexico, I think that race is largely funded by the Mexico government. And I know that there's been some issues about pulling back funding for that. So if I were a betting man, I would say Spain and Mexico. I don't know if you've got any thoughts on it or if you heard differently. I mean, I, I definitely have to agree with you there. It'd be crazy not to have a German Grand Prix, especially with the success of Mercedes. Um, and I know Mexico is not trying to pay for it is the biggest thing I've seen. Uh, they don't want to incur that cost. And then Spain, yeah, I mean, it wasn't that exciting of a race. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I'd have to imagine they'd still have their preseason testing in Spain, whether we were racing there or not during the year, um, just because it seems like a good spot for testing with all the different kinds of corners, uh, low, medium, and high speed, um, and just kind of the proximity to where most of their base, most of the teams are based out of. Um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me one bit to see Spain and Mexico uh, go by the wayside and then kind of just stick with Germany and uh, Silverstone. And one of the rumors I've heard about the British Grand Prix is that they really want a London City race. Um, Chase Carey is always talking about they want to bring Formula One to you know destination cities and make a big deal out of it. Um, I mean, I'm sure that'd be really cool to see um, a, a Formula One Grand Prix in the streets of London. However, uh, my biggest concern would be, you know, some of these city races are processional races due to the, the size of the tracks and, and how wide the streets are. So that would be a concern, but um, maybe it could be end up having two British Grand Prix on the calendar 
Um, that wouldn't be so bad. I know they're trying really hard um, to get a second American Grand Prix, wherever that might be, whether it's Miami um, or Vegas seem to be the, the two most talked about. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, it'd, be, it'd be weird and awkward to not have a British Grand Prix or a German Grand Prix for that matter. So um, I guess we'll have to wait and see what yeah. ends up happening with those. And you're right. I mean, Liberty Media, they, they love the, the city streets. Um, it, it certainly wouldn't break my heart to have uh, a London Grand Prix with Silverstone at some point later in the year. Um, and then, yeah, it's, you know, there's Miami, there's Vegas. Um, you know, you and I have both heard some minor, minor, minor chatter about Chicago. Um, obviously, there was an attempt to get uh, Jersey on the, the calendar a couple of years ago, and that fell through. Um, so they're cool to see. But, yeah, it's sometimes it, it makes it difficult for, for, for overtakes and things of that nature. But um, I, I wouldn't be even a mind if there was 23 races next year as a fan. You know, I'm like, give me the more, the merrier. But um, oh, for sure. with the engine restrictions and us being down to three, three um, uh, power units for, for a whole year, I can't, I can't see the teams agreeing to go into 23 uh, not to mention the logistical cost and everything else. And we're, we're in such a world now of cost cutting and trying to cut back and put budget caps on. I, I can't see them extending it. Not at least not this year, maybe 2021 with the new regs, potentially something like that. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe going up to like 22 um, and getting the teams to agree to that, but to agree to two more, I don't know. I'm sure Claire Williams would have to be hitting up the other teams for a couple extra bucks to, <laughs> to make up the cost. Well, she would probably, uh, you know, if they go to like the more races they go to, I wonder if they get additional funding because you know Williams is like uh, grandfathered into that constructor money with Ferrari, so maybe they actually True. send her a few extra bucks her way. So, who knows? Yeah, no veto, no veto for Williams, but they do get a couple extra kickbacks, <laughs> so they need them. Yeah, and you know, I I wasn't gonna mention the rumors about Chicago because I don't want to jinx them. So now, if a Formula One race doesn't come here, I will blame you for that. Yeah, it'll forever, be my fault. So. Hey, I yeah. told you, I, I can't say on this podcast, but I, I told you what I would do if that ever happened. So, yeah, yeah I'd be right. I'd be right with you for sure. <laughs> yeah, it would be, um, it'd be like the Bears winning the Super Bowl for me. It would be that big of a, of a deal. So, oh, well, that's, that's going to happen next year. So, uh, yeah, we'll knock that, we'll check that off our, our bucket list. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, so what else do we got here? Um, there was a little bit of news about Porsche. I think it got a little bit blown out of proportion. Um, you know, with these 2021 regulations coming down the pike, um, you know, one of the goals of Formula One was to kind of reduce the cost for new constructors to come in um, with only having four is a bit of a concern. Um, so you never know when Renault is going to drop out again and leave us with only three. So um, it came out that, that Porsche – who, uh, let's see, I think the last year Porsche was in Formula One was in 1991, was it, when they kind of had a rough year? Yeah, I think so. Um, it was a disaster, too. Yeah, so they, they haven't been around since then, um, but they had started kind of the concepts and building a potential V6 that could be used not only for Formula One, but also uh, for Porsche in the WEC. Um, so came out that they were kind of developing it, and then when some things went differently than they expected with 2021 regs. So I think the biggest issue was the MGUH, yep. I believe. Yep. That's like the most expensive, one of the most expensive parts for them to develop and to come up with. So they thought maybe they had been getting rid of that. Turns out we're not going to be get, losing it for 2021. So Porsche kind of was like, well, uh, we're good on that, I guess. Um, but it, kind of a bummer. Would have been nice to see a new constructor come in 2021, um, especially a big name, um, a good name like Porsche. So, Kind of bummed about it. Um, seemed like a bigger deal when I first started seeing the headlines come out. But then once you read into it, it's like, oh, well, it was never even a sure thing anyway. Um, so I don't know if you have any feelings on that. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I would I would absolutely love to have um, to have Porsche on the grid. Um, yeah, you're right, though. The MGU-H was the kicker there. Um, uh, the teams originally, I don't know what teams, but some teams were originally pushing to get rid of that. Not only is it, uh, like you were saying, the most expensive, but uh, to my understanding, it's also the most complicated of all the components of a modern Formula One engine to develop and actually keep reliable. Um, so, you know, the MGUK or the curve system, as we've 
been calling it for years now. Um, those everyone's kind of got that down pat, you know, using kinetic energy from the braking system, just like your hybrid car on the road or your Tesla or whatever else. Everyone's pretty much got that technology down um, and has been able to really cut down on costs on it. Yet it's still a very effective means of adding uh, electric power to a car. So, um, you know, I again, I would love to see it. The other thing, though, is like if they would have come on the grid, would it have been a new car? Like, would, it, would they have come in as, like, a Renault and then, you know, Porsche F1? Or would they have tried to uh, do a Honda approach and only provide engines? Because, you know, I'm thinking, like, the challenges of a brand-new regulation, you know, they're literally showing up day one in Barcelona with a brand-new car that no one's ever seen with brand-new regulations. I got to think that, you know, you're almost setting yourself up for failure in that approach. I think the engine approach would have been a stronger idea for them. But then who do you take? Because you got Ferrari's got, what, three teams. Uh, Renault's got two. Honda's got two. And uh, Mercedes has three, right? If I'm doing my math correctly. I believe so, yeah. So I don't know who they would have taken unless you have, like, uh, a McLaren jump ship, but you know, the McLaren Renault relationship is, um, so far not off to a terrible start. They've not been great, but they seem to be coercing together decently. So, uh, or co-mingling together, I should say. So I don't know. It, it would have been interesting, but, um, I'll, I'll throw out another plug on there. There's a guy on Twitter, Sean Bull design. If you guys want to see one, some badass formula one designs, including, uh, a Porsche livery that could have been on the grid in 2021. And then also uh, the WEC, the new uh, supercar, hypercar regulations um, that Porsche has been t- in talks about joining as well um, to have like a, a, a Porsche 918 type concept. Check out this guy, Sean Bull Design. Uh, it's incredible, his artwork. And I was drooling over those F1 Porsche cars, thinking that maybe one day we'd see them on the grid, but not to be, at least not this year, or not in 2021, at least. Yeah, for sure. I'll have to check that out, definitely. Um, and, yeah, that's a good point about Porsche, whether they'd be trying to come in as a constructor um, or just kind of an engine supplier. Because um, I know I did a little bit of research on on their past in Formula 1, and they, they originally were a constructor um, in 1961. Um, didn't really do much as strictly a constructor. They did win the French Green Grand Prix in 1962. Um, but after that, they kind of left the sport until 83 when they came back um, with McLaren as the uh, with the tag turbo. So um, they had some success there. Nicky Lauda won the Drivers' Championship in 84 and then Adelaide Prost in uh, 85 and 86. So um, it'd be interesting to see if they ever do come back. Um, I'm always a proponent of, of – the more the merrier there, especially with so we can see some differences between the teams. Yeah, and, and um, I mean the entire Volkswagen group has has been in deep crap since the whole diesel scandal. <laughs> so you know it. I'm a huge WEC fan as well, and obviously losing Porsche and Audi off the grid on, in WEC was pretty heartbreaking. Um, good for Fernando Alonso; he's only got to compete with basically one car to to win the twenty. 20- um in Toyota but yeah I I would love to see them get back into it and I was hoping the regs would allow them to uh have more interest in that but it looks like they both of them have chosen to go Formula E just because of the um the gloriousness of of electricity now that that everybody's <laughs> talking about and so we'll see how that plays out for them for sure um, so then I think besides that, a um, couple quick notes. We saw that uh, Nicholas Latifi is going to be making his F1 debut. Was it uh, free practice one for him with the Williams yep. squad? Yeah, the Canadian-born driver is going to have an opportunity to get into a seat uh, at an actual Grand Prix uh, in his hometown. So I know Oh, you know what? I didn't even realize he was Canadian, so <coughs> that'd be a nice treat for him. Yeah, and he's, uh, he's leading uh, Formula 2 right now, so – a lot of eyes on him. He's going to be in his home country. Um, you know, if, if he sets a, a time that's two seconds faster than Kibitza, because he's, he's taking over <laughs> Kibitza's car, holy crap, the rumors are going to go through the friggin' roof. Oh, I bet. I wonder <laughs> I wonder if what kind of money he has backing him 
because um, I think that would be one of the biggest things if there was uh, hope for a midseason change in Williams. You'd have to figure part of it would be because he'd be bringing, bringing in more money than uh, Kubica. You know, that's the rumor. Everybody's talking about, like, how is Kubica actually going to make it through the entire season just given that Russell has outpaced him in every single session this entire year. Um, yeah, I, I we should – I'll do some research on that because I'm not sure – some of the, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult to find who's back in some of these Formula 2 guys that don't get quite the attention, obviously, as the Formula 1 teams. But that's – money speaks, and if he's got money and if he manages to outpace Kibitza, you know, I'm sure Williams, Claire will be like, well, they were on different tires, and we had him <laughs> on a, you know, a light fuel load, and Kibitza was on a fuel, you know, race strategy load. You know, I'm sure they'll have some kind of BS excuse if it happens, but – Let's, yeah, FP1 is going to be really, really interesting to see how he compares to FP2 and convince to get back, back, gets back into the car. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, speaking of teams who can't seem to get it together and definitely need some sort of upgrades quickly, uh, Mercedes supposedly <laughs> um, has red. some new power. Yeah, Mercedes has some new power unit coming out here, um, which rumored to be above a thousand horsepower. I think 1020 was the last number I had seen. So, um, you know, one thing Mercedes needs is more power, so I'm sure maybe, maybe they maybe they'll be in the mix this weekend. What do you think? Yeah, as I as I documented a couple episodes ago, you know, I was at the Montreal race last year, and Mercedes did not bring a uh, new motor because they had a reliability issue that they discovered on the the week of the race. So they brought they took back their motor as well as at that time. Um, uh, Force India, I almost said Racing Point. For the once, I, I get the name right, and I don't mean to. <laughs> um, so they, they took that back and from Williams as well and ran the same motor that they'd already ran for the prior six races and obviously were way down on power compared to Ferrari, which made my Montreal Grand Prix experience slightly less enjoyable. But, um, uh, the, you know, these guys tend to – they've got a really rich history, especially one of those two drivers at, at Mercedes – or at uh, Montreal, so you get on a thousand twenty horsepower. Watch out for Ari because the straights were their quote unquote weakness, and that may not be an issue going forward. Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm sure it's going to be a long weekend for Ferrari, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll got some predictions coming up later in the show, so uh, maybe I'll have a surprise for you. Sounds good. All right, but I think that should be about what we have for the uh, news items. So before we move into some of the Canadian GP notes, um, we'll step away for our sponsors here. All right, welcome back to episode 24 of the Sunday Drive, doing our Canadian Grand Prix preview um, and some notes here. Um, so previously we discussed some news items throughout the last couple of weeks. Now we're going to move into talking about the Canadian Grand Prix itself. <clears throat> um, I spent some time this week, um, watching an old Canadian Grand Prix that I had actually watched before. Um, I found it on a list of, I think it was a fan generated list from racefans.com. Or is it .net? Maybe I'll have to check and maybe put that in the show notes, but, um, it's the list of the top 100 Grand Prix. And this one came in, I believe number three. Um, it was the highest-ranked Canadian Grand Prix, but it was the one from 2014, and um, it was uh, an excellent race. One of the ones that I watched early on in my fandom that really kind of grabbed me and made me realize that uh, this is a really exciting sport, something that I'm, like, really into. So um, throughout the race, pretty interesting, pretty tight. Early on, um, the Silver Arrows kind of took off and were leading the whole way with Hamilton and um, Rosberg, um, one, two, throughout probably at least the, the first half of the race. Um, then they ran into some issues, um, started with some engine issues. Hamilton wasn't getting all the power that he thought he should. And then Rossberg was complaining about power issues, ended up being some brake issues on Hamilton's part. Um, so he ended up being a, a, a DNF. And then it got crazy after that. Um, at one point, I think it was the, the P2 through P6, all those drivers were within like a couple seconds of each other. Uh, very close racing. Uh, so nice passes. And then at the end, uh, Danny Ricciardo um, actually got his first win in, in Formula One. So it was really cool to see. Um, I think that's when he actually had his first shoey. Um, so that was kind of cool. Um, and Danny Ricciardo, um, 
really good driver. One of those guys that's it's 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 tough to not like him. Uh, really carefree attitude. So it's a bummer that he's on uh, the hated Renault squad. But <laughs> it, it was cool watching his first win again. Um, so do, you got any like maybe favorite Canadian Grand Prix? I'm sure the the one you went to was close to your heart. But as far as uh, racing action throughout the course of a Grand Prix, uh, do, do any stick out to you? Yeah, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> 2014 sucked because as a Hamilton fan, <laughs> being up front and having brake issues and everything else under the sun, and, uh, that's not I, 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 I will admit, too, that as I was re-watching it, the point when Lewis Hamilton um, went into the pits for the last time and to end his day, I did text you and remind you of that happening to kind of dug into <laughs> a little bit. So that made it a little bit more enjoyable for myself. Yeah, that was a bad day, but... <clears throat> I think it was was it Ricardo. He passed Nico, right, mm-hmm. um, to to win the race. So that made me a little happier. You know, Ricardo was again pretty early on in the scene. Um, you know, I've been a big fan since he came up, um, especially since he joined the the main Red Bull team. So yeah, it was cool to see him get that first win. Uh, if no one else was going to win that day, I'm glad it was Ricardo. So, but you know, a few of them over the years at Sandow. Um, obviously 2007, again, as a, as a Lewis fan, um, you know, the kid gets his first victory in his first formula one victory in his first season, um, with McLaren at that time. So that obviously was probably one of the best uh, for me personally. Um, 2008 was not one that, uh, well, going back to 2007. So if I'm not mistaken, 2007 was when Kibitza had that pretty historic, uh, highlight reel type crash. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, it is. I actually saw that footage. I think Formula One actually tweeted it or maybe put it on Facebook, some of the top five moments from uh, Canadian GP history, and that crash was uh, was pretty epic. Um, you know, a casual fan might see that and be like, oh, that must be where Kubica, you know, was disabled and actually got hurt real bad, but uh, in, in fact, it was not. He was actually okay after that one. Yeah, I think he, like, despite it being pretty horrific-looking, um, and the car being absolutely destroyed. I'm pretty sure he basically walked away, basically unscathed um, from that incident. So uh, it was 2008. It was interesting because Kibitza comes back and gets his, uh, I believe, his only, his maiden and his, his lone Formula One victory. So hell of a comeback for that guy coming back from a, whole, a pretty horrific crash the year before to come back and win in the BMW Sauber, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is correct, yep. Um, from a Lewis standpoint, a fan, that, that race sucked. Um, Lewis was obviously in heavy contention for the world championship that year. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, like a safety car happened. Lewis is leading the race. They have a little bit of delay on the pit stop as most of the front runners come in. And then as you're coming out of Montreal, as I'm, and as most of you guys are aware, you know, you kind of skip the chicane and you basically skip turn one, how it's laid out. And because of that, they had red um, red lights at the end of uh, pit lane to basically stop the cars that had come into pit under the safety car. Uh, so that way the cars that didn't stop, you know, they would come through and then those cars would merge behind them. And I don't know if Lewis was, you know, looking at something on the steering wheel or making an adjustment. You know, there wasn't a ton of adjustments back then, but who knows what. But... Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Raikkonen stops the light. Lewis comes up behind him and last second realizes that Kibitz, or that Raikkonen is not moving one inch uh, and slams into the back of his car on pit road uh, and completely ruins both their days. And I think maybe even – it might have been Nico Rosberg, who they weren't teammates at the time. I think Rosberg may have hit Lewis as well. So they completely ruined their days. It was one of those classic uh, Raikkonen moments where he gets out of the car, he comes up and kind of like – somewhat friendly grabs Lewis around like the shoulder and just kind of like points to the red light. Um, <laughs> and it's like, hello, dude, there's a freaking red light there. Um, so that one sucked, but there's been, you know, some classic ones. I mean, as again, as a Lewis Hamilton fan, I've seen him win six of these things. So it's honestly hard to pick a favorite, but uh, 2007, obviously I think I've got a rank number one just because of the fact that it was just the start of such a historic career. Um, for me and you know last year seeing the cars up close and um, you know seeing these guys tearing out of turn one it, it's 
being in, you know, just a matter of a few feet on the other side of the fence from these guys, it was incredible. So it's hard to pick a favorite, but this is a, a great track um, and one of my favorites every year. And it's a huge fan. I love racing this track, even on like simulators as well. It looks like a simple track, but it's a lot harder than, than it looks on paper. And those walls are very unforgiving. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's an amazing track, um, really well suited for some good races, good speed. Um, and I actually forgot to mention during that 2014 one, right at the end, um, in that last lap there was when Massa, who had been having a great race, as well as Perez, I think both of them were kind of coming from back in the field, um, having great races, each of them, and they ended up colliding, um, touching a little bit, and then colliding into the, the, the barriers there in that last lap. So it was kind of a rough ending for them. But um, definitely a lot of good GPs to choose from if you're trying to go back and watch some old Canadian Grand Prix. Um, hopefully – this year is, is right up there with some, with some of the classics would be nice to see. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for one as well, 1999 was uh, basically when the infamous wall of champions was really crowned um, coming out of the last chicane before you go over the start finish line. Uh, every single year that that wall was given its name because it's bitten basically every single champion at some point along the way. Um, and, you know, this year, you know, we've got Vettel, uh, Lewis, and Raikkonen, if I'm not mistaken, as the three champions on the grid. Who knows? Maybe, uh, you know, I don't want to call it out there, but maybe we see one of those three in the wall of champions this week. Uh, we, we will see. I'll be waiting uh, eagerly. <laughs> um, so, excuse me. So, uh, one of the other things I kind of looked up, with some facts about, you know, the Canadian Grand Prix, um, some things about it coming up here. And so since 1978, uh, there's been 39 total Canadian Grand Prix. Um, 23 different drivers have won the race. Uh, most of those races or the most wins in Montreal is by Michael Schumacher. No surprise there. He's won actually seven times. And that has led into Ferrari having the most wins for a constructor with 11. So um, maybe a good omen for Ferrari moving forward here this weekend. Um, We'll see. Maybe when we get the predictions again, I'm going to tease those again for you. Um, but one of the things of note, um, there's been 13 different safety cars over those 39 races. And the pole sitter, um, definitely a really good place to be uh, most tracks, but really a Canada too. Uh, 29 of the 39 races, the pole sitter has finished on the podium 19 of the 39 times they've actually won it. Um, current lap record is from last year in qualifying when Vettel set a, a minute 10 Point seven six four, um, so we know what we're shooting for this year in quality. Um, see if we can break. And then I did have a little trivia question for you, which you kind of touched on a little bit a second ago. But um, there are five previous winners of the Canadian Grand Prix on the 2019 grid. Can you name all five? If you can, your first beer on Sunday is on me. Oh, okay. Well, give me one second. Let's All see. Right. I'm, I'm trying not to to Google here because uh, that's cheating, but I'm trying to mm -hmm. just picture in my head. All right, so there's five, right? Yep. Val Lewis. Of course. Vettel. Yep. Um, Ricardo. Correct. Uh, Raikkonen, maybe? Correct. And... Our boy, we talked about Kibitza. Ah, you got it. Five out of five. It's... Hopefully, you drink cheap beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'll uh, we'll we'll do a bucket of beer. We'll go cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, I was trying to think like there's there's a few guys in there that I automatically eliminated in my head like Gershon and Stroll. <laughs> so I was like, all right, that and you know, obviously the rookies. So I'm like, all right, that gets me down to like 15 right off the bat. So. I got to like think through this, but yeah, no, that's interesting. It's that's, I wonder how that compares to other tracks. We'll have to add this to maybe like our future preview episodes. Cause I'd love to see just kind of like track to track, how many current winners we have on the grid at any given uh, circuit. Cause five seems high to me. So that's interesting. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It does seem kind of high to have five, um, especially this year, you know, with a lot of the young drivers that we have, um, so that, that should be something we look into moving forward. That's a good idea. Um, but you know, overall, uh, the Canadian track, the Montreal track, 
Um, it's a real fast track, like we talked about. It's hard on the brakes. A lot easier on the tires overall. Um, so the tire selections did just come out recently. Let's see if I can pull those up. Um, I don't know if any. I don't know if you got a chance to look at them yet. Kind of the only things that really stuck out. Um, you see Bottas of the top four guys. You know between him, um, between Mercedes and Ferrari. He's the only one to take two sets of the hards. Um, Ferrari was the only team to take five sets of the medium each. And then it uh, looks like Hamilton and Bottas both have eight sets of the softs, while Vettel and Leclerc both have seven. So um, kind of mixing up the strategy a little bit. I feel like Ferrari might be doing, um, which scares me because their strategy not so good normally. But um, we'll see what, the, what comes into play there with them taking the mediums, an extra set there. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, what that could lead to possibly. So go back. Ferrari, say that one more time. Ferrari has which compounds again? Ferrari has one set of hards, five set of mediums, and seven softs, whereas um, Mercedes, Hamilton, and Bottas. Uh, Hamilton has one hard, Bottas with two mediums. I'm sorry, two hards. And then mediums, Hamilton has four, Bottas has three, and they both have eight sets of softs. I mean, it kind of goes back to which I don't know if the teams are aware of what they select when they select them. I don't know if that's public knowledge, at least in the paddock or not, or if that's released after the fact. But I like that they're going with a different strategy than their rivals. You know, we talked about that at Monaco. If you can't beat your rival on outright pace, then do something different. Do the opposite of what they do. Um, Tires have been, I think, one of the biggest issues for Ferrari this year. Last year, it was their biggest advantage. They were able to get the tires into the heat zone uh, quick and stay in that zone at the proper temperatures. Um, this year, I don't know if it's because of the new kind of glossier finish that Pirelli's brought onto the tire or if it's the fact that we're using the tire blankets are at a lower temperature than they were in last year's race but or last year's uh, season. But uh, keeping getting them into that tire uh, temperature range and then keeping it there has been a really big issue for Ferrari this year and one that last year Mercedes struggled with and they've been able to pretty much manage it this year. So, uh, you know, I don't have any ideas. It's, uh, it is easy on the tires, um, the, this particular track. Uh, it's harder on brakes than it is on tires. Uh, we've seen Mercedes have issues with brakes, obviously, at multiple years. A lot of teams have issues with brakes, just keeping them cool. So I like that they're doing something different. Um, how that plays down to the race, I don't know. But hopefully they don't do something stupid like leave Leclerc in the pits and try to save a set of tires when we know this is likely to be a one-stopper, <laughs> So, like in Monaco. Yeah, unfortunately, it, it looks like it's going to be a one-stopper, a lot easier on the tires. So. Um, unless there's going to be a safety car, um, looks like it'll definitely be a one-stopper. So be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, hopefully Ferrari can find something this weekend, um, and make things interesting at the top for us, which I don't, I don't have the statistics in front of me for safety cars, but I feel like you've definitely got a decent chance here. You've got the wall of champions, which bites people. And then pretty much about every single inch of the circuit is surrounded by walls. Um, you know, I walked the track last year after the race, and um, it was pretty amazing that, you know, it, it's one thing to see on TV. It's another thing to walk it and see just how close those walls are and how unforgiving and see how, how many scuff marks there were on the side of the wall after the race and just how many – you can clearly see guys are getting closer than they prefer to. So, fingers crossed, it looks like, um, you know, maybe a dry one. So, let's – a safety car is always a good thing as long as one of our boys aren't in it. Yeah, um, the, you know, the safety car has actually made an appearance in 13 different races um, since 1997. So, oh. um, yeah, it, it sounds pretty pretty common. And actually, the highest number of safety car appearances in one race is six, which was in 2011. Holy so, cow. Um, that's pretty wild. <laughs> All right. I, uh, that, sounds, that sounds like an Indy car race. Yeah, I'm blanking on that race. That's going to be uh, tomorrow. I'll be watching that race for sure on F1 <laughs> TV Pro. Yeah, see, wow, a long one. Holy cow. That, yeah, I imagine that had to have been hitting up against the time limit with that many safety cars, but that's incredible. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, we got the tires out of the way now. Um, looking at the weather, uh, there have been five rain-affected 
uh, races at this track. Um, probably not going to add to the number this weekend. Friday is looking like a beautiful 75 and sunny. Saturday, another 75-degree day, maybe a few clouds. Um, and then Sunday for the race, looking like 80 degrees and sunny, um, which should be an absolutely beautiful day um, up there in Montreal uh, for all the Canucks. So no, no rain this weekend for us, looks like, unfortunately, to mix things up a little bit. But uh, maybe later in the, ra- the year here, we'll, we'll come across a, a rain-soaked uh, Grand Prix. Let it rain, um, let so, it rain, let it rain. Yeah, right? <laughs> it's weird now because on my, my weather app on my iPhone, it's like I've got all these random cities. Yeah. Like every time a, a new race is coming up, I add that city to my list. I'm glad that you said that because I thought I was the only person that did that. Yeah, I've got freaking <laughs> China on there. I've got um, Australia is still on there. I looked today. I said uh, obviously Monaco was on there from a couple weeks ago. Yeah. So, yeah, as I'm scrolling, like swiping left over to my different cities, I'm like, what the hell? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, all right, so let's move into some uh, some predictions for the weekend. Um, I know I like sounding like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to these. Pretty sure I've been pretty far off on all the, uh, the predictions I've made, but I'm feeling good about this one. So why don't you go ahead and give me your uh, top three finishers for the Canadian Grand Prix. So before we do that, I want to throw out one thing to you that I forgot okay. to mention when we were doing our track fact kind of fun stuff. So Montreal is uh, the home of the infamous raft race down the the rivers um where basically all the mechanics hop into these very rough looking rafts and paddle their way (laughs) down the river um so i think 2017 was when it was revived they started doing again and if i'm not mistaken mclaren who hasn't won anything in a long time uh won that race and then last year our boys at the back of the grid williams uh got their first um formula one victory or Formula One <laughs> influence victory in quite some time. Um, do you have a throw-out-one prediction as to who you think may win the RAF race this year? I'm going to pull for Haas. I think they're going to get Ooh, it done. Okay. All right. Um, I have no idea. So I'm going to say I'm going to go with Racing Point because I feel like they oh, could okay. use a win. So, you know, this the RAF race seems to be good for guys that haven't won in a while. So, I'm going to go racing point or a Williams repeat. Maybe, you know, maybe they're, they've been training all year. They've had some good quick pit stops. Maybe these guys are getting jacked up in the gym, ready for the raft race. So. <laughs> all right. So going back and get serious again about top three race finishers. Um, yep. So I, we, I know we threw out a couple of like very rough, not a whole lot of thought into them predictions on our last episode, but even more thinking about it all week and listening to, you know, a bunch of podcasts and reading 10,000 articles as I know you do as well. Um, I think I'm still, I'm going to, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I'm totally going to be a homer still. Um, I don't know if Lewis is going to be on the poll necessarily, but I'm going to go with Lewis getting number seven and tying the, the great Michael Schumacher. Um, and, and getting tied up for the for the most wins of this track. Um, I think we're going to have a Leclerc. I think I'm going to stick with my same prediction. I think a Leclerc is going to bounce back from his horrible, horrific Monaco Grand Prix. He was very fast in Bahrain. Should have won that race and you know, got screwed by Ferrari reliability issues. So, you know, these tracks are very different, but they, they do have similar some similar type components. So, I'm going to go... Uh, Lewis one, Leclerc two, um, and one. I'm gonna go Verstappen three. I'm gonna get crazy. Go Verstappen three. Okay, so I almost had the exact same three as Damn you, it. just in a different order. <laughs> okay, but I oh, did, nice. I did I dropped Verstappen off because I was like, there's no way there's gonna be three different uh, constructors in the top three. I just don't see that happening. So, um, my top two are the same but different. Uh, my boy Charles Leclerc is going to come storming back this weekend. He's going to get his first Formula One victory. I can feel it. He's going to dominate <clears throat> from the start of FP1 to the end of the race on Sunday. Um, and I will be gloating about it for a long time afterwards. Um, so I cannot <laughs> wait for that to happen. Uh, Lewis Hamilton will finish in second. Uh, he will be crying for most of the race, uh, mostly because he can't get around the young kid from 
Monte Carlo. So um, that should be good fun. And then in third place, I'm going to have Sebastian Vettel finish there. Um, you know, Seb is the only driver on the track that has gotten uh, a points finish in, in all of his career starts in the Canadian Grand Prix. He's actually got 10 different starts there, and he's, he's gotten points in each one. So clearly likes the track. Won there last year. Um, so I, I think he's going to finish in third, give Ferrari their best points finish of the year. And a little bonus prediction I'm saying Valtteri Bottas is a DNF. Um, I think I think he pushes too much this weekend. I think he feels like his lead um, – obviously, he doesn't have the lead right now, but I feel like he's going to start thinking that Lewis is getting too far ahead. I know Valtteri kind of has um, the perception that he kind of loses it for a few races here and there. So I think something crazy is going to happen. He's going to push too hard somewhere, um, and, and he's going to get into a little bit of trouble – and he's not going to finish the race. So um, mark my words on that one. Um, you'll have to owe me a beer after that just because I said so um, if that <laughs> does happen. So, you know, that's um, not – Hopefully that's what we get. I, um, I, in my mind, predicted Botas to be somewhere like in the fifth, maybe fourth, fifth range. But okay. you, um, you bring up a good point. The the smiley I ate my porridge this morning. Botas has not quite been there <laughs> last couple races, and suddenly Lewis has jumped up to a seventeen point lead in the championship. Um, you know you've got excellent points. He may very well pull a Leclerc and put his car into a place that it really doesn't belong, just because of a little bit of desperation. So I don't think that's unfounded uh, to think that it's a possibility. Um, I will not be, um, mad if Leclerc wins again, I'm a closet Leclerc fan, so it wouldn't break my heart. Um, as long as Lewis has a good points finish, I would be cool with Leclerc winning. Um, but I'm going to go double and often on this beer, man. I'm going to go that <laughs> Vettel ends up in the wall of champions. Okay. So we'll see what happens on bet. Sunday. But all right. All right. And tell me this as a Leclerc fan, since we're going to Coda together, would you rather <laughs> Leclerc get his first victory, Montreal, in just a couple of days? Or would you rather it be while you're in person watching them storm around through 12, turn 12, 13, 14, 15, onto a win in the great old USA? That's rough, man. <laughs> uh, if you had to choose right now, what would you, what would be your, your, your better experience as a fan. I'm saying I want it to be this weekend because I like being right. Um, it's something <laughs> I'm really passionate about. So I'm, I'm going to say I want it to happen this this week. And then when we're in Coda, that could be the week where he passes Lewis Hamilton for the lead in the championship. Oh, you're getting you're getting crazy now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you may have already started it, drinking. It, yeah, it, it might be the fumes that I'm in the garage I'm recording from this week, but. Uh, I don't know. I'm feeling good, so I'm going with it. All right, so we got some really good predictions. One of us is going to have a lot of great beers on Sunday, you know. Yeah, yeah. maybe I will take the train to the city instead of driving. <laughs> yeah, good idea. I want to be able to record with you that night, so. <laughs> we don't need Chicago's Definitely. finest uh, chasing you down Sunday. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, Sunday, the, the, the race is going to be on at 110 Central Time, which is the time we both care about being Chicago boys. Um, you know, we're going to, we're going to be in the city for that one. Um, should be a fun time. Um, really, I, I can't wait. Uh, hopefully you're excited as I am. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We're, uh, we're doing a meetup with, uh, Chicago's Formula One fans, uh, fan group. Um, and it's a day after the fan fest at Chicago, at, uh, Soldier Field, uh, in Chicago as well. So I'm hoping that I've been telling everybody I know about the fan fest. I'm hoping that um, you know, some people show up, see what they, you know, see what they've been missing all these years about not, you know, experiencing Formula One, and then maybe we have a huge turnout at, uh, I think it's uh, is it Sully's house, right, in Chicago, for meeting up. Uh yeah, Sully's house. So I think is up uh, north side. I think I'm not sure if it's in Lincoln Park. If not, it's it's pretty close. Yeah, to the place. it's really close to there. So I'll be taking the train as well, or Ubering it up, but. Um, yeah, one of us is going to have a good time on these predictions. <laughs> yeah. So any other, uh, any other Canadian thoughts, um, before we call it a night? 
I think that about wraps it up. Uh, hopefully we have a lot to talk about um, Sunday evening when we do our race review. Um, you know, I'm expecting a good race. Hopefully it's a, hopefully it's a really good race, an instant classic. Um, we could use it after uh, some of the, the duds we've had so far this year, but I'm uh, looking forward to good things. Yeah. So uh, grab your poutine, sit back and enjoy it. And uh, again, it's, it's actually during normal uh, daylight hours here in the U S so you have no excuse yeah. to not, if you're in the United States, you have no excuse to not turn this race on uh, ESPN. I don't know which channel, but you, it'll be easy to find of the ESPNs, uh, turn it on, watch it. Um, it's going to be a good one for sure. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's on at a normal time, but I'm still gonna have to wait, wake up extra early on Sunday, um, uh, to make it home in time from Michigan so I can make it up to the city. But, um, as usual, waking up early for a, a formula one race is always worth it. So, well, I mean, you know, no two weeks ago you had to drive back from friggin' Tennessee to, to make for recording. So, it's just yeah. becoming a new thing for us. You know, I, I sit back and do nothing all day and you, you travel eight hours. So, or whatever it was, yeah. but yeah, well, I, from what I understand, you're a little bit older than me, so you need the relaxation. Oh, I so do. All good. I do. And I have a little <laughs> one at home as well. who's keeping me busy. So there you go. Need all the, uh, the rest and, and beauty sleep I can get these days. Cause this face isn't getting any prettier. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, so it's been a, another great episode. Uh, thanks again to, to James as well for, for joining in uh, tonight, as always. Uh, it's been fun. Looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. And be sure to uh, check out the um, our Twitter feed. So, uh, again, I'll be at um, Formula One the Fan Fest on uh, Saturday, trying to post as much stuff as I can, videos and whatever I can get to. I'll be posting online. Um, but before we close it out, uh, speaking of Twitter, James, where can we find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm still at uh, J Chronic F1. It's a uh, J C H R O N I C F one. Um, you know, give me a follow. Um, have a little back and forth on Twitter. I'm usually sharing some uh, interesting things I find and and giving some of my thoughts and uh, the way I see things, especially during the race. Absolutely, and check out the uh, the podcast Twitter. Um, we've got an exciting announcement coming up as far as that goes. So I'll give you a very, very quick sneak peek. Um, we can now be found at, at sports garage pod, uh, all one word, um, on Twitter, sports garage pod. Um, just give you a sneak peek as some things to come, um, some exciting, uh, things going on in, in the world of, of our podcast. So be sure to check us out. Um, again, follow us on Twitter. Um, I'll be posting as much stuff as I can Saturday. The weather could be a little rough, but I'll be out there in Poncho or whatever it takes to, to bring you some great formula one pictures and videos. So check it out. Awesome. All right, guys, we'll have a great night and we will talk to you Sunday evening. Be sure to check in. All right. Good night. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have questions or feedback, please email us at the Sunday Drive Podcast at gmail.com. If you would like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, leave us a voicemail at 704-251-9455. Also, if you're interested in staying up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us at Sunday Drive underscore pod on Twitter and Facebook. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review and subscribe if you want to hear more. Thanks for taking the time to listen. We sincerely appreciate it. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sunday Drive.